Varmt välkommen till Iro-podden. Podden för dig som jobbar inom de kulturella och kreativa sektorerna och som är intresserad av internationella stöd och samarbeten. Hanna Olsson heter jag och är projektledare för International Resource Office. Ett projekt som drivs av det europeiska kulturnätverket TransEurope Hall med stöd ifrån Region Skåne. Häng med så kör vi! My name is Hanna Olsson and I am project manager at the uh, International Resource Office, uh, who also is the host of uh, this panel. International Resource Office is a project run by uh, TransEuropal, aiming to assist cultural actors in uh, Scania in Sweden in their internationalization processes and advise on international funding. So with these words, uh, I would like to give the floor to Brektein, community manager at TransEuropal and a board member of Culture Action Europe. And Brektein will be the moderator of today's session. Uh, thank you so much, Anna. And uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Burak Sein. I'm the community manager for TransEuropal, uh, European network of grassroots cultural centers. Today, I'm uh, very happy to have the opportunity to moderate this panel discussion. Uh, what's the future of Nordic and European transnational funding? And um, a big thanks to Folk of Kultur, the biggest cultural policy event in Sweden for having us. And uh, I will start with sharing some, uh, some uh, uh, experience with as, a, as a, the community manager of a major European network. The topic of funding usually constitutes 50% of my conversations with conversations with cultural operators, workers, and artists from all across Europe. Uh, then COVID-19 happened, and now it's a little bit different. 95% of all of my conversations are, are about somewhat funding, but in a different sense. I can say a, a, bit, a bit in a more existential sense. For example, some uh, questions I heard recently, uh, is already declining public funding going to be there after COVID? Uh, or should I consider another line of work to be able to sustain myself? Then some take action, for example, changing their business models towards more digital distribution uh, or crowdfund funding. So we at TransEuropal work with all, these, all of these questions. Also, we support internationalization of uh, Swedish cultural organizations, cultural, uh, cultural workers and artists uh, and help them to build their capacities for fundraising and EU-wide recognition. Nowadays, many of us working in the cultural and creative sectors have questions about the future of transnational activities and funding. And today we have two major funders and two major cultural operators in our panel to discuss this topic. So our panelists are Barbara Gessler, head of uh, unit Creative Europe, Directorate General Education and Culture of European Commission. Ulla Kalgren, Director of Nordic Culture Point. Nils Righolt, Vice President of Culture Action Europe, CEO of Danish Center for Arts and Interculture. And Mika Renders, Managing Director of TransEuropal. And today's schedule is straight to the point. Uh, we have an, a short introduction of the panelists and then we will just go to the discussion and then we will finish with Q&A and you can just raise your hand uh, using the Zoom feature or you can just write to the, the chat and I can just ask the questions. It's totally up to you. And now uh, to the presentations and Barbara Gessa, please. Yes, hello. Thank you very much for having me and I'm, I'm sorry I'm only here via a voice, uh, but uh, uh, things will surely get better uh, towards the end of the year. I definitely hope that we will be able to, to see each other and exchange in particular from my side, of course, on the Creative Europe program that I would quickly like to present. 
Um, we have, as you may know, at the end of last year, successfully ended uh, the negotiations on the new program. And I'm stressing this because uh, it showed that there was a broad agreement among the different institutions that are involved in decision uh, making at the European level. In that case, the European Commission, the European Parliament, and of course, the member states. And that is important uh, because we're talking now also in a circle of funders that come from different levels. Uh, and the main difference also, obviously, that, uh, that also was very present in our discussions about the new program was uh, the continuation of the necessity to have in our funding uh, what we call the European added value. Uh, and if I talk to you a little bit about the objectives of the program, you will see that they are, of course, looking into this perspective of uh, cross-border and cooperation very much. The specific objectives decline, no, they, they kind of go in, into the overall objectives of the program that remain the same, that are safeguarding, developing and promoting European uh, cooperation on cultural and linguistic diversity and heritage uh, to preserve this heritage, but also, of course, the economic dimension of our program and of our sector, which is to increase the competitiveness and the economic potential of the sectors. And in particular, of course, I'm not speaking for this today, uh, but of the audiovisual industry, which, as you know, is part of Creative Europe and the biggest part, if I may say. So we have, uh, we have uh, seen how the specific objectives of the program contribute to those overall objectives. Uh, and... Um, I can I can just maybe uh, list the, the most important ones. Enhancing artistic and cultural cooperation in order to support the creation of European works on the one hand, but also, of course, strengthen the economic, social and external dimension of these projects uh, and also drive innovation and um, Innovation is uh, not only in a technological sense, as we saw and as we are currently experiencing, very much driven also by the impact of the crisis, the use of technological tools to remain in contact and work together. But of course, innovation also in a broader sense, for example, when it comes to societal innovation or social innovation. Then, of course, there's the whole aspect of mobility of Europe's uh, culture and creative sectors that is very important because Europe, uh, obviously, as a continent, is very much based on mobility, even though, as we can witness today, mobility is currently, of course, very much hampered uh, by uh, the corona crisis and the safety measures that uh, governments need to take to protect us uh, from, from the virus. The other, obviously, um, important uh, objectives are the promotion of the competitiveness, as I said before, also scalability for the sector, use the potential of cooperation and sustainability, uh, and all of this also in particular for the audiovisual sector. And then we have, uh, as the third strand, next to the culture uh, and the audiovisual sector, we also have a cross-sectoral strand, which promotes policy cooperation and innovative actions, in particular also a new action in this cross-sectoral strand, which consists in the promotion of a diverse, independent and pluralistic media environment and media literacy, uh, and thereby meaning to foster the freedom of artistic expression, intercultural dialogue and social inclusion. So you can see that uh, our objectives are fairly broad, but we could also see in the negotiations and in the discussions we had that these objectives actually also reflect the contribution of the cultural and creative sectors to society uh, in Europe and to the European economy. In a nutshell, I would also like to say, of course, that we uh, have strengthened uh, also the culture strand, in particular by simplifying the access to, uh, to culture, in particular the cooperation scheme. We will also uh, try to enhance uh, the budget, for example, for the platform scheme. Uh, we will also introduce, and that is new, uh, uh, a sectorial action next to the 
horizontal actions. And this sectorial approach will look in particular in some policy areas where we could see that the purely horizontal approach is maybe not enough to uh, score higher when it comes to capacity building in certain sectors. For example, the book and literature sector, uh, the music sector, very importantly, you know, we had the Music Moves Europe initiative uh, and we have had very promising results and we want to build on these results in building up a sectoral approach, but also the areas of architecture or heritage where we had the very successful year in 2018, but we will also be looking into other sectors a little bit further down the line regarding design and cultural tourism, for example. We are also studying uh, current pilot schemes that we are running that you may probably know, which is the iPortunus uh, grants to individual artists' mobility. And we are also at the moment, as you may know, uh, in the process of launching uh, a platform for the circulation of uh, performing arts works. Uh, and uh, another novelty in our in our culture strand is very much uh, also the introduction of a new international dimension. All of this is very much looking into the alignment of uh, the funding with uh, the policy uh, um, convictions that we have and that were expressed, obviously, in some uh, very important communications. Uh, and uh, more, most importantly, the new European uh, agenda for culture, which lays down all of these effects of culture and creativity for Europe and for European society. And we're trying to make uh, the funding meet the policy objectives. As an introduction, I would like to leave it at that. And of course, I think in the um, discussion, we will go more uh, in detail about uh, the concrete shaping of individual schemes that may be of interest uh, to stakeholders uh, around, uh, around the platform. Thank you, Barbara. Ula Talgren is our next um, panelist. Thank you, Burak, and thanks for inviting me. My name is Ola Kellgren, and I'm the director of the Nordic Culture Point in Helsinki. It's an institution under the Nordic Council of Ministers in Copenhagen, and we belong to a smaller family of culture houses and institutes in Greenland, Faroe Island, Iceland, Orland, and Helsinki. Our main task is working as a secretariat for the Nordic Council of Ministers grant programs, which I will come back to. But we also are conducting a lot of events in Helsinki, where we also uh, have the only Nordic uh, library in Finland with literature, newspapers, films and so on from the whole Nordic and Scandinavian region. The grants programs, uh, which I think there's a slide coming up if Burak will, will continue. Uh, I, I think it's the last one. Uh, this is the grant programs and I won't go deeply into them. The most important one, as far as I see it, is the Nordic Baltic Mobility Program for Culture, which is a cooperation since almost 10 years with the Baltic countries. And that's uh, targeted towards professional artists and so on. And it, it uh, contains four different funding, so to say, for long-term and short-term networks, residency organization and mobility for individuals or groups up to six persons. One can say that during the pandemic, uh, Everything has changed when it comes to our public event, events and so on, of course, but uh, working with the grant programs has been there. We have, uh, there's been business as usual, usual. We have had the same forms of, form of applications and the same, the same uh, way of de deciding who to be granted, which is, which is done by independent Nordic and Baltic expert groups. But we, we haven't changed so much due to the pandemic, although there's, of course, the most important question lately has been, can we prolong this project and could we make it this way instead of that way while we cannot meet like we had planned and so on. But it's more or less the same, same goals as there were before. 
We got a small amount of money, some three million Danish crowns, in order to support the effects of uh, or to, or to uh, how do you say it, to uh, to um, uh, strengthen their work against the pandemics when it comes to culture, and that was uh, those money were that money was granted during last autumn. As for this year, we have our pro our programs running and. I say that there was some uh, decrease in application, but not as much as we had thought before. I think it, uh, some, the mobility was, was going down by 25%, but still we have a lot of applications. Uh, coming up for this year is that we will conduct a study on the effects on the grant programs. And I would like all, once again to point out that we are a secretariat for the for the uh, programs that are owned and run and decided on criteria and so on by the Nordic Council of Ministers. So we are part of the official Nordic cooperation in, in conducting this. Thanks. Thank you, Ulla. Our next uh, panelist is Nils Righolt, uh, Vice President of uh, Culture Action Europe and CEO of Danish Center for Arts and Interculture. Thank you, Barak. Uh, I will just very shortly give you an introduction to what Culture Action Europe is all about and where our present focus is. As an organization, Culture Action Europe is much about highlighting the value of culture and its contribution to the development of our societies in Europe across the different member states, but even into Europe at large. Contract in Europe was established back in 94 uh, as a network of networks that aim to maintain the dialogue and knowledge exchange between the sector and the EU policymakers, Barbara and her colleagues. Uh, in 2008, Contract in Europe diversified the membership structure and became more a network of network, but also a, a a network that could actually include public and private organizations, large and small scale, in order to get a broader kind of dialogue, a broader kind of input, and thus a larger influx and a larger um, voice and, and role into the, the, the conversation with the European Commission and other European bodies. We advocate for public investment in culture. We advocate for strengthening the force of the development uh, angle and perspective. And for quite many organizations across Europe, uh, Culture Action Europe is one of the main entrances to understanding both the design of European programs, but also how they can connect with other kinds of actors. And as a network of networks, we very often play the role of the marriage maker or the, ro the, the role of the connector, connecting the dots between North and South and East and West and across different sectors and different genres. It's an intersectoral network that brings together all practices of culture. The actions are very much about mediating geographical, political, economic, societal, technological, legal and environmental frontiers. So it's about seeing culture as something that is actually an interconnector uh, in our society and thus something that really influences both the design of our democracies but also the design of the conversation we can have about what culture really means to the way we engage, to the way we connect and to the way we develop together. We facilitate uh, policy level communications and discussions and debates. We try to launch different initiatives, campaigns and seek to get into a more profound, deeper, beyond the obvious conversation with our peers and our, our contacts across Europe, predominantly the European Commission and the EU bodies, but also other European and transnational bodies, both regionally, like in the Nordics, the Nordic Culture Point, the Nordic Culture Fund and, and others, but also in the Balkans, geographically spread in order to both make sure that we have a multi-voiced influx into what we are discussing internally in Contract in Europe and that it resonates into the realities of the design of, of uh, coherent and, and adequate cultural politics. So you could say that we are a community of different practices and to us plurality, multi-voicedness is really, really important. And when we talk about funding, it's important to us to highlight so to speak, all the areas, get out all in all the corners of who are, who's the funding reaching out to, who are actually experiencing difficulties in being, so to, in adapting into the funding schemes and the funding structures and are the funding structures, 
sufficiently well designed to in order to really cover the cultural field as such. That could be a concern that we could talk about today, but is it's a concern that is always uh, in the forefront of, of the work that we do. So we are circling diversity and multiplicity in, in order to be able to give the sector the best representation we could ever manage. So my role here today is to listen and to reflect and try to do exactly that, to add uh, a multi-voiced perspective to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Niels. And um, now the next panelist is Mika Randers, Managing Director of Transferable. Hello and uh, good day to all. Thank you, uh, Bora, for this introduction. And thank you, Ula, Barbara and Niels for your interesting um, presentations. So Transio Pulse, uh, what do we do? We facilitate uh, the sustainable development of civil society initiated cultural and creative organizations based in repurposed spaces by connecting and supporting them. We are a, a European cultural network with around 126 members in 36 countries all over Europe. We go from the north to the south, from the east to the west, and even spread out over Caucasus and Eastern partnership. We are the um, only um, European cultural network funded uh, by the European Union that is based in Scandinavia and our head offices are in Lund, Sweden. Um, at Trans Europe Pulse, we have a um, huge diversity of members, often grassroots organizations that really fight for their local communities, for culture, arts and society. And um, as an office, we are running diverse European projects on capacity building, arts education, co-creation policies, inclusive and sustainable creative economies, the commons and sustainability for the cultural sector and um, uh, business um, organizations and innovation. Um, so we are happy to be here today and um, to be hosting uh, this um, section for folk oak culture and our network's purpose is of course to connect support and promote those grassroots cultural centers thank you mike and uh, this completes our um, introduction and uh, now i will go on uh, let's go let's move on to the discussion and my first question comes to barbara and then uh, the conversation starts from that barbara uh, uh, we are still going through a pandemic, and I'm curious, like, what's the what's the immediate actions uh, that we are, we should expect uh, from uh, the Creative Europe program in terms of work programs? Because now we, the mobility is a bit still seems not likely for next three months, for example. But I'm sure there are some things coming up. Uh, could you give us a little a couple of hints what uh, to expect in next year or so? Yes, of course. Thanks very much. I think. Um... One of, the, one of the first things that I would like to mention is that you know that we have, um, thanks of course in particular to the pressure of the European Parliament, been able to raise the budget by more than 50% uh, compared to the current or to the last uh, Creative Europe program. And that is also, of course, I think a reaction to the crisis and the impact that everybody saw that this crisis has on the culture and creative uh, sector uh, and the willingness to help a lot at the European level to help the culture and creative sectors in Europe regain uh, their, their resilience and recover as quickly as possible. Uh, so I think that's one immediate effect uh, of the crisis in, in a positive sense, if I may say so. Uh, and that will also have, of course, impact on the budget distribution. We will very much focus uh, the funding opportunities uh, in terms of budget in the first years of the program, because uh, it is the conviction of the uh, budgetary authority that it's important to now 
channel a lot of money into the sector in order for everybody to get on their feet again. And now the support is really needed because as the Secretary General of Culture Action just a couple of hours ago mentioned to me, they they are dried out at the moment. So they need to be able to, to relive. Uh, and that's that's an immediate impact of the crisis, obviously. Um, in terms of timing, of course, you know the, the the negotiations are over, but there's still a couple of procedural steps that need to be taken. It's bureaucracy, but this is the way it works in the legislative process. Uh, so we will uh, we will be able to launch the first calls for proposals towards March or April. But I can already apprehend the reaction that may come to you uh, by your stakeholders, I mean, uh, is that uh, if you if you look carefully at the at the new legal base, you will already see uh, that the culture program, for example, hasn't changed a lot. So I would call on all projects to already start thinking now and not wait for the calls for proposals to start building their partnerships and to start designing their projects so they are ready when the calls come and they are solid uh, when the deadline is is there so uh, that's uh, that's another thing that uh, of course you know we will try to be as quick as possible but there's some administration that still needs to be done by the way for for most of the programs that are starting now and thirdly Yes, indeed. Uh, as I said briefly in my introduction, uh, of course, the digital dimension and the problems to mobility at the moment have shown, as several of you have said, have shown that there needs to be flexibility also in the project design. Because we also have had a lot of projects that have told us, listen, we cannot do this, we cannot do that because we cannot travel or the premises were closed, uh, etc. So there was a lot of change in the project implementation around Europe. Uh, and we are now asking projects, we will be asking projects to look into this aspect and say, okay, so how are you going to make sure that your project maybe go ahead and maybe also have fallback positions? What if you cannot travel immediately? What if you cannot tour immediately? Are you thinking about digital distribution? Are you thinking about reaching your audience in the the virtual space? What are you thinking about in order to, to cater for a a virtual environment as well, in order to uh, have the process, the creative process not stop uh, just because there's the pandemic, but rather, you know, use the new tools that uh, that we have and that we have now experiencing, been experiencing over the past uh, 10 months. Uh, And we know what the opportunities are. So you look at the opportunities and not only at the problems. This is certainly a new aspect that was reinforced through the crisis. Thank you, Barbara. Any reflections? Anyone would like to go on? Nils? I, I, think, it's, I think it's very interesting that um, you already consider to, to highlight the financial impact uh, and, and the financial distribution already in 2021, 2022, as a result of this immediate response to the crisis. From a personal perspective and from some of the, ex- the kind of experiences we have had during the crisis in different conferences and in different seminars, both conducted within the framework of Culture Action Europe and, and other frameworks, there seemed to be an enormous uh, vulnerability for the small and mid-scale operators across Europe in terms of the national and local and regional uh, financial aid coming in too late. So they have had to sack important staff. They have had to let go of important resources in terms of manpower and sometimes even of project influx, leaving them uh, very, very fragile uh, in the startup process. Have you considered anything in the startup, Barbara, where you will do an extra thing for the for the small and the mid-scale operators, the independent operators, those that do not have an institutional body but might be quite significant in designing the future of our, you know, uh, European cultural life? 
Um, yes, thank you, Niels, for giving me the opportunity to say that uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, on the one hand, what we have done, and that was already in our reflection before the crisis, but that now reinforced the necessity indeed to act in that direction, was uh, that we will, uh, that we are aiming at raising the co-funding level, in particular for smaller projects, which means that the necessity to come up with own resources to be able to do a European project will, of course, be smaller. Uh, and that, we think, will in particular help also the smaller player and the smaller organizations. The other element, of course, is um, that we have the mobility tool, the uh, individual mobility tool that will be helping uh, continue to be helping individual artists and creative professionals to travel across Europe and to, to realize their projects in other countries. And as I said, we also have uh, a new tool, a new platform that we will be launching, uh, that we will have launched while we are talking at the end of January for the circulation of arts works that uh, is also looking into uh, indirect effects, obviously, for smaller, but of course also for larger organizations. So that is being catered for, and I'm saying that as, um, as a kind of uh, careful introduction to what I have to stress nonetheless is that we will continue needing uh, uh, an organization of a kind, uh, a legal entity that will uh, propose projects. It will not be possible for us to support loose structures uh, but we need to uh, insist on the existence of a legal entity of an organization. I don't know if that was your question, but I think it may be. Uh, and there, unfortunately, I have to disappoint you that this is not, this is not foreseen uh, as a possibility under Creative Europe. But as I said, we have, for example, the individual mobility tool that caters for this particular, um, for this particular constituency. I would also like to say that one cannot stress enough that we are there to support the European added value of the actions. We cannot at European level now take the role that other governmental levels have, which are in the first instance to, to repair also uh, the damage done by the crisis. We have, uh, the commission has established a couple of horizontal instruments very quickly when the crisis came, for example, a loser state aid uh, framework uh, to allow funding uh, as, as, as state aid to the, the culture and creative sector, for example. It has uh, established uh, measures uh, that aim at helping the unemployed at national level and that can also help the culture and creative sector the corona response uh, investment mechanisms, they are also open for organizations that are from the culture and creative sectors. And we have in particular also redesigned the cohesion funding, giving uh, the regional funders also the possibility to fund the culture and creative sector. But that, of course, is, as you very well know, uh, because you've had just yesterday launched a cultural deal for Europe, that is very much uh, the member states level now to look into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're completely right. We launched that program yesterday and, and it is now a, a question for the member states. And I was not thinking about individuals. I fully recognize the the the, the necessity to, to work with uh, legal bodies and legal entities, obviously. Uh, my concern was probably rather the, the fragility that small size institutions, legal entities actually experience in the moment. But I think you gave a very, very uh, yeah. good answer to that. Can I, can I Niels, because I, I see now also another element of your question. I'm sorry if I didn't, if I didn't no uh, realize it immediately. If I may have another word on this. Uh, I think you may be talking also about the financial and operational capacity checks that we have uh, that we have always had under Creative Europe. And I can stress that we have uh, looked into solutions for this in a variety of ways uh, and uh, that we believe that we will be able to solve this problem. 
so the, the the financial capacity will not hamper the successful applicants from uh, from introducing and and pre-financing their projects we have we have catered for this we believe in in various ways and i'm very happy also about this and thanks for giving me the opportunity to say that again because this was a source of frustration lately uh, and uh, we all agreed that uh, that uh, we need to look for a solution uh, for this problem and we managed to do so However, needing to stress obviously that this is taxpayers' money uh, and we need to protect the spending of European taxpayers' money. So uh, that is all something that we always have to bear in mind if we spend a European budget. Now, from Europe, I will switch the focus a bit north. Ulla, like how about um, for you, how about the, the Nordic culture point? And uh, could you what's what what to expect for the next uh, same question as Barbara, but for in the Nordic uh, context? I, I just would like to comment on to start to comment on mobility as before the pandemic, which feels like a very long time ago. There was a growing discussion on from from the artist sector saying that we have a bad conscience when using airplanes to go abroad and conduct these projects and these contacts in other European or Nordic countries, and and uh, I think it it will be interesting to see if this this uh, conscious, bad conscious will remain. I don't think that the the artist, the cultural sector, should bear all this bad conscious when it comes to uh, to uh, traveling. But we have in in order to meet these thoughts also uh, initiated a discussion uh, when it comes to mobility. For us, one can apply for up to ten days of a 10-day trip as long as you are working in the Nordic Baltic region and plan to go within this region. It hasn't got anything to do with citizenship. But now we are having, we've initiated a discussion saying that maybe we should uh, have 15 days or longer stays and and try to to encourage the artist that's going for a trip to make more contacts, to stay longer, to, to make more out of the time. So that's one aspect, and we also are wondering if to, but that's only on the discussion level yet, is to start a mentoring program between younger and senior artists uh, that we, as a part of a mobility program, they could be, they should be enabled to meet in real life, but they can also conduct meetings such as we do now. When it comes to the Nordic cooperation in general, there are some threats which actually has to do with this green or sustainable um, activities. And that is that the, the Nordic prime ministers decided a year or two ago that the Nordic region should be the most sustainable region in the world. And they have uh, a certain goals for that, the most uh, uh, green, green and so on, and social sustainability and so on. But the tools for making this come true uh, puzzles me a, a bit, then the suggestion is to remove money from culture and education and put that on more specific green activities, so to say, which is, I think, a very short-sighted, at least when it comes to, uh, and uh, not at least when it comes to the pandemic and how do we do we reawake this, the societies and, 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 and uphold a strong, social cohesion after this uh, this long sleep that we're all going through at the moment. So that's uh, one of the challenges I am facing for the coming years. It's not that bad for 2020, 20, as this year, then the cutback is 5%, but in the, the coming years, it could be uh, going towards 20, 25%. Cutback, and that will affect not only the grant programs, but also the uh, activities that we can conduct in our cultural houses and institutes. So that's a bit of a challenge. Thank you, Ulla. And uh, now, Mika, you have the both Nordic and uh, European perspective. And uh, how do you see uh, the next uh, year, up uh, the next year, and what do we need? What do we need? I think we have. Um... We have to rethink as a society, as individual human beings and as organizations, and it's already uh, been mentioned by everybody, actually. 
we have to rethink a lot. Um, would like to get back a little bit to some topics that already already came up. So we have a paradox of mobility uh, in our cultural sector. We want to be international, innovative, get IDs that you don't get in your own region, so you go abroad, but then we have a bad conscience because we are polluting the earth. So how can we rethink as, as, um, as groups of people, not only one organization on this, but as a society. And I like the idea to um, extend uh, stays because I've, I've been uh, speaking to Nils last week and we said, yeah, slow art, slow. We have to slow down and rethink. And now it's, we are in, at a momentum to rethink but we have to be honest with each other also and, and collaborate. For example, if Culture Action Europe has a meeting in Brussels and Trans Europe Halls has a meeting in Barcelona, why not take each other's hands and have one meeting, but over a longer period of time? We share similar members, we share similar topics. We don't have to do everything together, but you can have a longer period of time in, in one city or one place and have more time because that's what I hear everywhere. We need time and also the money to get time. Then the greening of the, the sector could be, is also crying for a little bit of help there. We need to raise our capacities to become more sustainable and to become more resilient. Resilient on social inclusion, but also resilient and knowledgeable on how can we green our organization. That can be a cultural center, it can be a theater company, it can be an individual artist. So. How can we connect capacity building and connect also the sectors there? We need help from a very technical sector. How can we green our buildings, make them more greener and then be able to get fundings for that? Because culture and arts are pioneering. They are early adapters. They can give an example to the rest of, of the society. And then um, to get back to our legal organizations that um, are only legal organizations can have funding. Yes and no. What we also see at Trans Europe Halls is that the, the rise is the rise of the commons. More and more people in society are gathering um, around a certain topic, a piece of land, wind energy, they gather into a cooperative or a commons-based structure, we do, which doesn't have um, legal framework or not, not always a legal organization. So there uh, at national and, inter and EU level, we are advocating for frameworks that also those organizations can access funding systems. Um, so these are a couple of things that uh, came to my mind, um, uh, Burak, when you asked me this question. So I didn't really answer your question from a Nordic and a European perspective, because those are things that I see everywhere. But we can start in the Nordics by going by train or by boat, for example, if we have more time. Any reflections on uh, what uh, Miki said? C can I can I can I uh, compliment something? Of course. This is Barbara speaking. Um, I would like to say that I have not mentioned this really explicitly, but of course the new program also uh, also will will take very much into consideration the the Green Deal priority that is a, a big priority for this uh, this new commission uh, and we are we are actually also forced to contribute to the objectives that this green deal has given out so we are also looking into into ways of stimulating also more green and ecologically uh, oriented project implementation uh, and uh, I'm glad I'm I'm given the opportunity to to mention this in particular because uh, I heard very interesting, um, uh, very interesting things that you said, and I think indeed we are looking very often at the Nordic countries for inspiration and for uh, innovative ways of, of thinking in this direction. You are always a kind of uh, a model region for uh, for for the others. However, of course, catering for the whole of Europe. We need to be uh, we need to be looking very carefully. Uh, I think that we're not taking our kind of uh, very advanced and very uh, uh, very uh, say middle middle European urban 
approach uh, to, towards this, this mobility aspect. We need to cater for the whole of Europe when we talk about creative Europe. Uh, and this includes, for example, also even the most remote regions or, you know, not so remote Greek islands. And uh, of course, for them, the possibility to, to be mobile by train is a whole different story than for us from Brussels to to London or, well, London is maybe not the best example these days, but say uh, um, even Berlin, you know, is feasible by train, but not if you come from uh, further away from a more peripheral region. And we need to, of course, also make sure that all regions uh, can participate in Creative Europe. So we will be asking projects to think about this and tell us if they have good ideas. And we think there are already a lot of very good ideas and a very good practice. And we will also be collecting those and making sure that these good ideas also travel because people can then learn from experiences in other regions and in other countries. Uh, but uh, yes, this is definitely going to play an important uh, part also under Creative Europe. Yeah, well, that, that's a reflection to what both Ola and, and uh, Mika and Barbara has been talking about. Um, I think if, if from my perspective in, in Contraction Europe, obviously, uh, there is this perspective of really making sure that you get out in all of Europe and not all of Europe is equally urbanized and not all of Europe is equally equally well connected and I think there there would be an expectation on the design of the program that it it equals that and it makes it possible so that's where the mobility program is enormously important and I'm really glad that it has been highlighted um, a comment to 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 Ola because the when the Nordic Council of Ministers launched that it might be a reduction in the budgeting for culture with somewhere around 20 to 25 percent. One of the responses that I heard both nationally in Denmark but even in, in, in Sweden was a concern about the inability to think more in a matrix structure, to put the green demand into the already existing structure of cultural funding, but instead of having this kind of pie, you know, pipeline structure where you put take money from one structure and put it into the other, and then you really don't make it, you just diminish one part and you highlight something else, but it's not really getting operational. And the operationality, I think, is the thing I hear. Um, it's a comment to what you said, Mika, Many of the organizations we work with, both in Cultural Action Europe, but also in, in my everyday work as the director for the Danish Center for Arts and Interculture, are talking about the crisis as a pause. A pause that in, in, in one sense is a catastrophe uh, and has left the sector very vulnerable, but also kind of highlighted the insufficiency of the sector and the bad business structure of the sector, if you like. Um, on the other hand, it, it accelerates a need for rethinking. And I think that rethinking is very much one of your last points was that maybe legal entities could be rethought. And one of the things that comes out of Denmark and, and Sweden is exactly this, this notion of movement, this notion that the innovative process happens outside the existing structures in the meeting between different kinds of operators cross-sectorially between different levels of civic society and in the meeting between public funded structures and private structures. And I think that's where there lie a huge challenge, both for the Nordic culture uh, supporting structures, but also for, 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 for your office, Barbara, in the future, to stay uh, uh, in the same pace of that development and to find out what what terms like agility and resilience and the capacity to adapt to the cultural sector, in, the sector into the development of our societies, what that really means in terms of, of, of funding structures. Because I think we probably, all of us, will have to rethink. I think we will see much, much more digital, advanced digital interaction. I think this idea is, uh, that we were talking about last week about uh, having longer meetings, maybe travel less. I, I, I have been part of so many European projects. I love getting around in Europe, 
but but in reality, I would probably benefit from a bit less travel, but longer, more profound, more in-depth meetings that would allow us to work deeper. So there will be something about how these things will have to be designed in the future in order to meet both the green demands, but also to meet the new demands that we haven't really been able to put words on yet, which is about how do we want to create post pandemia? How do we want to work together post pandemia? And a lot of that will happen in the next months, actually, I think. Any reflections on what Nils said? Uh, Mika? Yes. Well, just, uh, of course, um, yeah, um, the innovative actions happen in between. Um, it's, 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 very, uh, it's very, very important. Our meetings, as Neil said to me last week, have become hyper-focused, uh, those Zooms. As soon as you are losing your connection, you, um, you get stressed. You don't know how the others, what the others can hear or see. And it's when you see the whole body, in, in, it, things get much more intense and in-depth so um absolutely um i think it, it it could also be that we ha we are going to work more on the regional level uh, in the future we have to also get back a little bit and appreciate what's just around the corner what's uh, in our in our backyard so to say and um in that sense i think maybe uh, regional activities like the nordics or um, balkans or eastern partnership they could get an increase maybe at, at least at trans europe halls we are going to to um, put more reflection on that on regional hubs and try to stimulate that they can meet each other the mediterranean with each other at least we hope that they will be able to travel and meet in person because indeed it's it has uh, become so important also this uh, folk oc culture event is now only digital it's it's a bit um, it's a pity of course that uh, that inspirate those inspirational moments are uh, falling um, apart yeah. i have a question uh, for ula just i have a burning question and it's about innovation and now it, it both came up um, and it would be great to know, uh, and then I will ask this question to Barbara as well. What do you, under, as a funder, what do you understand from, what's your understanding of innovation or how do you define or describe? And it's very important for us operators, I think, just to uh, know like what innovation, how do you understand the innovation? In, it doesn't, uh, can be short, uh, long, up to you. I, I must say, I don't really know how to answer that question. It's, it's uh, of course, we're, we're talking about quality and uh, innovative projects and all that, but we're not really dealing with the culture and creative sector, so to say, that was used to be called KOKON in, in Swedish abbreviation, because that was, we had grant programs for that some six, seven years ago, but that was, quickly removed so we are not into we have don't have any grant programs at the moment target towards that sector which is i think it's a bit uh, stupid <laughs> but that was moved to a nord uh, an institution that that's uh, in in oslo that's called nordic innovation so i don't i can't really say that at least in my uh, where i've been moving or talking lately innovation hasn't been a topic that uh, and I can't really say how what's the what's the discussion is going on in Copenhagen or in the secretariat I guess that as people are working on distance all these uh, coffee talks and discussions and new ideas and all that uh, have, have been slowing down the past year the last year thank you Ula. and uh, Barbara I I think uh, there is a uh, you mentioned cross-sectorial strength, and under that, I think there will be something called Creative Innovation Lab. And uh, what's the what's what should we expect in terms of innovation? And same question as uh, as Ula, like, uh, what's the understanding of innovation from the Creative Europe uh, side as a funder? It would be great to know as uh, as operators what to, what we are aiming at. I think uh, you're right uh, that there's there's the, the the specific action that we're talking about the cross sectoral strand and then of course there's the general the general uh, principle of innovation that is uh, that is enshrined in all the in all the program and as I said before 
we have uh, we have seen also during the discussions with the other institutions that our uh, that there's a very strong wish not to not to limit and I think I said it before, not to limit innovation to technological innovation, but to also give the possibility to uh, to look into, you know, what's innovative for a certain region, what's innovative for a certain sector, what's innovative for society, what brings new ideas and creativity, innovation in the largest sense via culture, because this is why we support culture and creativity in the first place, because it has this innovative disruptive uh, potential by the way also economically speaking uh, so i think in that sense i can say that it's it's um it's a um, broad definition of innovation uh, but uh, you know you you won't see it anywhere anywhere defined because this is not a philosophical this is not a philosophical uh, uh, program uh, but it will be down to the experts also that will be looking at project proposals to say, okay, uh, in which way does this uh, correspond to a need to to innovate for a certain sector, for a certain uh, for a certain kind of organization, etc. So it will be broadly interpreted. Then, of course, we have the Creative Innovation Lab, and uh, you may know that we had already the bridging the uh, audiovisual and cultural sectors calls in the past two years, 2019 and 2020, and our innovation lab will basically build on that. And that will be really more, uh, uh, if I may say it like that, will be really more about tech, bringing tech uh, in also, uh, and stakeholders uh, in uh, from various sectors, audiovisual, other cultural sectors to undertake projects uh, on innovative uh, digital solutions. Uh, and uh, and there, of course, we're talking also about uh, uh, in, indeed really business uh, incubators and accelerators that can also be brought into the game. Uh, and uh, and this is really the, the idea of this Creative Innovation Lab to develop tools and models and methodologies that we can then you know put at the disposal of others uh, that are not involved in the original project and that can help everybody use uh, these digital tools so this is really more uh, more tech driven whereas our general principle of innovation at least in culture can be definitely considered uh, as a broader element Thank you so much, uh, Barbara. Now we are approaching to the end and we have uh, one um, uh, question from the audience. And it's, uh, I think it's uh, for Barbara. And uh, Raina asks about the expected flexibility in the project design in Creative Europe programs. I think it's good that we need to be clever to prepare for issues that something like pandemia can cause. But are the programs going to come towards and guarantee that there will be flexibility in the accepted calls. Uh, if it is expected that the project needs to be solid, it makes the writing a difficult task to be able to prepare to unknown and uncertainty that uh, these huge situations can cause. So, and uh, is flexibility going to be added to, to criteria of the programs? That's, uh, that's Ryan's question. Well, I mean, <laughs> It's a tricky question, and I understand the and I understand the intention. Flexibility. We have proven, for example, we have proven flexibility when the crisis came up. We have uh, every amendment that was asked. You know, can we can we change the nature of what we do? We are not meeting physically, but we are creating a nice uh, space, a virtual space where we can meet. Can we, can we uh, shift these costs? We were extremely flexible. We extended the deadlines for projects where they said, you know, we were not able to do what we wanted to do because of disruption by the pandemic. We were extremely flexible in the implementation. And I think we will continue being as much as we can uh, also for the future. However, <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but what it doesn't mean is is uh, it's that projects will have to will have to have uh, an objective and a plan and a design. So we cannot say flexibility is uh, we will do whatever and whenever. 
uh, in the first place, uh, they have to have uh, a certain con consistent uh, description, of course. But what we will do is to ask projects to say, listen, what if you can't do it like that? What are you thinking of as a fallback position? Say, for example, I have a project that consists of an exhibition early 22, uh, and then it turns out, you know, you can you cannot plan it because you know that, uh, you know, the museum is closed, the gallery is closed, and you can't, you know, or you are touring, you are planning a tour uh, or a festival, and it's not going to happen, or you're planning a theater theatrical production and you cannot uh, you cannot have any uh, staging of rehearsals or something like that what are you thinking as a fallback position we will ask project applicants to think about fallback positions and explain that to us it cannot be just you know a little bit ole ole <laughs> but uh, so that level of flexibility will not be given but surely uh, as it is today uh, if there's a necessity for flexibility, we will be able to give it. But a project design needs to be consistent and coherent and, uh, uh, and overall uh, meaningful uh, for, uh, for, for, for us to be able to assess it. Uh, I, I think that's very clear. Uh, that uh, probably also goes for all the funders. Thank you, Barbara. And now, uh, uh, concluding remarks, Ula? Well, I think it's uh, it's been a really nice and interesting discussion, and also a lot of for me to be to to take in and to learn about. And so, I'm grateful for having uh, being invited to participate in this. I think that we uh, must say that we're looking towards a brighter future. Whatever it can't be. It, it should be, uh, it will be better, I think, and it, in the, even in the coming months. And I'm, as Nils mentioned, and I think also that we should remember that uh, artists in general are really out with their antennas, seeing what's going on and feeling what's going on and what's going to happen. So I think that we won't have, a, have any problems of new, to, new solutions to old questions. Thanks. Well, I think it's... Um... I'm also very happy for being invited to this discussion. And I think there are so many, we're just scratching the surface, obviously. We only have uh, an hour uh, to our disposal. But I would, I would strongly, having heard both what Barbara and Ola said, and knowing both from being a project maker, but also from being a analyst, analytic person and a researcher, that I would strongly recommend uh, both the European Commission and, and, and Barbara's office and Ola's office to look into how, what flexibility means in the way that we meet the, the, the needs uh, from the sector. Because in, in, in however much I actually love the European project structure, because it does provide a lot of clarity, the, uh, the, the formal uh, the, the formal expect, expectations on how much you can differ in terms of your budget, for instance, in different posts makes the amendment process quite difficult to administer unless you really have the resources to administer it. And, and a lot of project makers don't, which might alienate some people. So there's something about that. The Nordic structures are quite flexible but and, and very easy to access, but also in a way a bit more blurry, which uh, makes it less you know comparable and the, the the transition of knowledge from one project partner to or one project maker to another is is more difficult than it is in the European structure so there are pros and cons in both structures but I think we can learn a lot from each other I think the European constru structure has a lot to give to the Nordic and I think vice versa the Nordic ease of, of how you manage it, it has a lot to give to the to the European sector so I would encourage more dialogue like this, uh, maybe even uh, without a camera, <laughs> you can get nitty gritty on the structure, the structural bits and pieces itself. But it has been really, really informative. And thank you very much, Barbara, for for giving that kind of tour de force of what the new program is going to look like. It's that's really, really encouraging. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you all for being here with us today. It's very, uh, very, very uh, interesting. And it's indeed only scratching the surface. I think 
as concluding remarks, we are living in enormously transformative times. And we have been given awarded time to reflect if, if we wanted it or not wanted it with a lot of damage, but also a lot of, um, we are in a, in a crisis so we can come up as Phoenix from the ashes. I think um, as a message, please cities, governments use artists and cultural workers to reopen your neighborhoods, your cultural centers, to reopen your cities and your transformation and transportation means because it will brighten all our lives a lot more when there will be an artistic touch and some creativity in reopening our worlds uh, in the upcoming year. No, thank you, thank you to you because it's 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 been also extremely inspiring for me. And uh, you know, these are the first discussions that we're having on the new program after after the adoption. So uh, uh, as much as I wish that we could meet in person and discuss over a coffee or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, it's it's not happening. So we really need this feedback also from you. And we are drafting the calls. So um, every, uh, every uh, um, incentive that you can give us, any, any suggestion is really relevant still for us. Uh, because we are we are listening carefully and we are doing as much as we can to come forward to the needs of uh, of the sector, uh, and this is why you know this has been also very important for me to to be able to listen to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you and thank you everyone for being part of this panel and uh, have a nice day. Gå gärna in på vår hemsida iro.teh.net Där hittar du information om aktuella utlysningar, kommande workshops och informationsträffar med mera. Inte minst så kan du också gå in och prenumerera på vårt nyhetsbrev. Aktuell information hittar du också via vår Facebook-sida, International Resource Office, söker du på då. Stort tack för att du har lyssnat.